This week's episode of Trek Geeks is brought to you by Fansets, the place for amazing pin collectibles. They have close to 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins to choose from, with new pins coming out every month. See all the pins and collectibles they have to offer at fansets.com, and stay tuned for this week's special Trek Geeks discount code. Fansets. We are Star Trek. Hi, this is Andy Robinson, Elam Garrick on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little podcast this side of the Gamma Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks podcast with Dan Davidson and Bill Smith. Failure to tune in would not sit well with the Obsidian Order. the special Podfleet Command Infirmary, located, well, pretty much everywhere just about now, because I feel like I'm coughing and sneezing all over the place. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant, and the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Greetings, one and all. Welcome to Trek Geeks. This is episode number 198. Thank you for downloading and joining us. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith, and we're excited to, to be with you each and every week. And of course, by we, I do mean my illustrious co-host... And myself, if he had some sort of implant in his brain that was causing him to, you know, have seizures and mental issues and come close to death, well, what can I say? I'd probably book the next vacation out of town and and enjoy myself. Buddy, Dan Davidson, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. How's that thing in your head? Hey, you said I had a brain, so that's a good thing, I guess. Finally, we admit it. So, thank you. I mean, your your pathetic excuse for one, but it's still one. Uh, it's it's good to have you here, man. I hope you're feeling. It's funny that we're talking about an episode where there's a lot of infirmary visits because we've both been under the weather for a while. So I'm glad that you're back on your feet. And uh, how you feeling now, pal? Well, you know, two and a half weeks ago, I got a flu shot, and although I know that there is no correlation, I understand the science. However. It doesn't change the fact that every time I've gotten a flu shot within three weeks, I've actually come down with the flu. So uh, the cause and effect being whatever you will, as far as coincidence, uh, I was pretty miserable last week during our Thanksgiving holiday. So I apologize for the impromptu week off. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. Glad to be back in the saddle again, so to speak. Uh, it's um, I, uh, I was uh, under the weather myself, I think a couple of weeks ago, if I remember. I got it. Everything just all mishmashed together. It's been so busy. So uh, I'm glad that we're back here. And, and uh, like you said, we apologize for the impromptu um, uh, week off. But uh, here we are to talk uh, possibly one of the best Deep Space Nine episodes. And in my opinion, the best Garrick episode in all of Deep Space Nine. Well, and one of Andy Robinson's favorites when we talked to him about five years ago. Right. It's a it's an episode that, that really hits on a lot of levels. It allows Bashir to to stretch his wings pretty much early on in the series. 
so that you can see he's kind of more than than how they've written him. And it allows Garrick to add some incredible depth. You know, The Wire maybe a second season episode, but you wouldn't know it. No, I agree. You know, a lot of times we talk about how some of the Star Trek series, it takes a season and a season or two to get their feet wet or get their space legs, so to speak, and really start gelling as a crew and as a cast. But you wouldn't know it from this episode because it's just so well done. Andy Robinson should have won an Emmy possibly uh, for this uh, portrayal of Garrick. All kinds of questions answered by more questions, as it turns out, uh, towards the end of the episode. But brilliant, and I'm glad that we're finally talking about it. Your face has more questions. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Well, Dan, you know what is not in question at all is how people can get in touch with us to tell us about their favorite moments of The Wire. How might they route us those communiques, mon frere? Very easy to do if you're looking to get in touch with us. You can head on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact. And there you will find a plethora of ways to communicate with your two favorite geeks. Let's see. There's Skype chat. There's email. There's a voicemail uh, by that big blue button on the right-hand side using SpeakPipe. Uh, Whatever way you want to connect with us, make it so because we love hearing from you. Plus, there is also the most positive Star Trek group on Facebook, Camp Kittimer. It's our official Facebook group, and that's where all the Trek talk is positive with no bashing or gatekeeping allowed. To join the group, head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer and be ready to be part of a truly wonderful social experience. And as always, we want to thank our wonderful admins, Haley, Jackie, Sarah, and Dan, for the amazing job they do running the camp. Also... Please remember that any comments or messages that you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. That almost sounded like one of those disclaimers at the end of a pharmaceutical ad. That was pretty good. Yes, and I didn't have 30 planets to name as different types of drugs. <laughs> well, the one side effect from, uh, from, from anything that, that you're selling us would be we'd have to listen to you, and that's pretty much interminable. Well, Dan, as has become customary here on Trek Geeks, we truly want to thank our friends at Fansets for being our sponsor and also for bringing us Star Trek fans such high-quality pins every month to add to our collections. I mean, our wallets may not be happy about that, but we sure are. Yeah, we definitely are. You know, every time I visit Fansets.com and I adjust that filter to new to old – I just hold my breath in anticipation for the next pins that are going to be added to my cart. And uh, why shouldn't be we? Why shouldn't we be excited for new pins, Bill? They always look amazing, and they are of the highest quality. And you know, the holiday season is now officially underway, and Fansets pins are uh, a perfect stocking stuffer. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge, old buddy. Just think how happy someone would be when they add a new Picard number one puppy with Santa hat pin to their collection, or maybe even a Picard number one dog tag that you can actually put on your pet's collar and they don't have to be just star trek pins man oh no now available is the robot from lost in space and coming soon yes you'll be able to add the flintstones and scooby-doo to your collection the fansets universe just continues to expand that is awesome, Dan. And as you may remember, I mean, the folks at Fansets just had a huge Black Friday and Cyber Monday sale. But now that those are over, that doesn't mean that there aren't any savings for you to take advantage of. Oh, no, no, no. For Trek Geeks listeners, for 15% off your entire order, simply enter the word Garrick at checkout in all capital letters. That's G-A-R-A-K at checkout in all capital letters. This bonus code will be available until midnight, Tuesday, December 10th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
Fansets. We are Star Trek, and we thank our friends at Fansets for sponsoring this week's episode. Well, buddy, in order to thank you for each and every day is for being just amazingly awesome. Wow. What's wrong? Is your wire malfunctioning? It's got, that's exactly what the problem is. <laughs> you are, are, are just as good a doctor as Julian Bashir. I'm throwing that out there. Although we don't know whether you've been genetically enhanced at this point either. Oh, I know. <laughs> yes. and, and nobody on the station knows yet during this and he still has a a pretty good job of taking uh, does a pretty good job of taking care of garrick in this in this episode he really is the um house call doctor in this episode as he spends lots and lots of time and we get to see him spending lots and lots of time just wandering around garrick's quarters you know it's interesting because you know when, when deep space time first started it kind of had that gun smoke feel to it you know, where everybody would come to the town, you know, and the doctor would essentially make house calls. And I, that's kind of how I felt about Bashir early on, especially when he had that whole dialogue about frontier medicine in, in the uh, Deep Space Nine pilot emissary. Mm-hmm. But in this one, you really get to see a different side of Bashir. And it's one that I really appreciate. Uh, not just that he's a good doctor, but he also turns out to be a pretty damn good friend. Absolutely. And, and we've seen the the beginnings of this friendship between these two characters start for a while now, but there's always been that, I don't know, that hesitation or that, that's that barrier between the two of them. I think this one really cements that friendship uh, right from the get go. Even when Garrick doesn't want to have anything to do with him, we know that it's just the, the device in his, in his head that's causing him to act the way he is. But you really see that Bashir is somebody who cares about Garrick. And from this point on, I think the two, the dynamic between the two is is visually different, and I think it's great. No, I agree with you there. I mean, you know, early on there was that that real uncomfortableness as as Bashir was a junior officer, and Grandy was the chief medical officer of the station, but he's still a fairly green lieutenant. And here is this Cardassian spy, or so he suspects, that's engaging him and and wanting to have lunch with him and, and strike up conversation. And uh, you can see all the various permutations that this takes in Bashir's mind. Well, what does he know? (laughs) What kind of information could I get from him? And, you know, it's the kind of relationship that evolves over time to, you know, at the beginning of this episode, you know, Bashir is, you know, taking Garrick's reading recommendations. And I guess it's not entirely a surprise that one of the greatest tomes of Cardassian literature is – uh, what's a good word? Repetitive? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. The Never-Ending Sacrifice, if I remember correctly, uh, was the name of the Cardassian novella, novel, uh, book, in whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I like how the, the writers, you know, we're two seasons into Deep Space Nine, as we just said. We still get some little hints of Cardassian history thrown at us from time to time, including uh, including this thing uh, that Garrick is describing about the finest Cardassian novel ever written. I like how they throw things like that in, um, not really to um, have anything to do with the plot of the story, but just to give some meat to the history of the of the race that has grown just to be my favorite alien race, I think, in Star Trek. I just love the Cardassians now. I really do. They're so layered and so textured, even at this point in Deep Space Nine, you know, between Garrick and Dukat and some of the other Cardassians we meet, that it's really hard to not like the Cardassians, even though they pose a significant f- threat to the Federation. Um, funny, and this is a little bit of trivia for Trek Geeks listeners, the never-ending sacrifice 
pretty much what I title every conversation I have with you. Um, oh, thank you. Not a, not a well-known fact, <laughs> as, as you might expect. Well, now it is. Well, it will be now because, <laughs> you know, but we're a couple of low-end podcasters. Don't mind us. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, can I ask one question? Not it, it takes place at the beginning of the episode. It yeah. doesn't really have anything to do with the story, but I was looking at some screenshots earlier and this came up. What kind of plant is that in Jadzia's quarters that the doctor's looking at? <laughs> that is a scary looking dude. I got to tell you, it's definitely no Borgard from uh, from uh, TOS times. That's for sure. <laughs> I, I could describe what I think it looks like, but that's not going to go over well on this podcast. That's probably true, and I thank you for your uh, your 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 playing nice with the with the rating. <laughs> um, I don't really know. I mean, they created a a reason why Keiko wouldn't be aboard the station. I get it. Yeah. I don't know why she'd go to Julian. Dax is a science officer. How come she couldn't figure out about the soil? I didn't know he was a herbologist. Right? Yeah. Jeez. Isn't oh, it her job to study other worlds? I'm just going to throw this out there. <laughs> Well, I don't know. They just – one of the things that I think is hilarious about this episode is that it's it definitely is a Bashir Garrick episode. And there is a good amount of Odo involved in this as chief of security. But nobody else is really in it. So they throw Dax two or three lines and they throw Cisco a line and a half. And Chief O'Brien has two lines, I think. And, and oh, boy, Colonel Kerry has one line in this episode, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, and it's really it's, he's like what is, what's wrong with him and that's just about it so I guess they still needed their paycheck that week so they got well, to be on camera I'm sure it was the difference for credit only and having a speaking part in the episode <laughs> exactly. as far as union rules but uh, you know it, it was interesting to me how much the other cast members weren't a part of this episode at all granted they didn't necessarily need to be but for me I think it says a lot about the strength of the script and the story but also the trust that the writers had in both Sid and in Andy to deliver on this material, at least from my perspective. Yeah, I I can't disagree with that. Um, it's yeah, I I got nothing. I, I, I got nothing. <laughs> it's well, just, it, you're honest. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I really loved about this episode, I'm going on a complete tangent from what yeah. you just said because I really don't have anything to add to it, is I had forgotten, as silly as this sounds because it's really quite an important part of this episode, I had forgotten that this is the first time that we see Tane. I had completely forgotten about that and I was yeah. thrilled about it. I, I've always I've always been um, upset that Tane was not a character that we saw more of Um during the series or, or maybe I haven't even don't even think I've really seen him in any of the novels that I've read but uh, I think he's a great character and, and I'm glad that we got he got the start here I think that one of the things I truly love about this episode is how magnificent Paul Dooley is as an Auburn team he's one of he's one of the those guys you see in a bunch of things he's done guest shots on TV and in movies for decades He's a really solid actor that that you see pop up in a whole bunch of places. And when he pops up as Tane, you don't quite know what to expect. But then he delivers this performance that that not only tells you how bad and devious this guy is, but he adds a really whole new layer of intrigue to this character 
by explaining some of Garrick. And I thought that that was absolutely fascinating. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's kind of a, a little eerie and scary that he is able to, um, have his, his listening, um, uh, ability to be able to know what's going on on the station at any given time because he knows that Bashir is on his way. He, and that is a credit to the Obsidian Order, which is a first in this episode as well. It's the first time we hear about the Obsidian Order is in this episode. And uh, another thing that builds upon uh, the Cardassian lore throughout the rest of Deep Space Nine, and I thought it was great. Yeah, he is, um, he is a very layered character, and I like how he's able to not only peel some of the layers of Garrick back a little bit for Bashir, but also add some layers back on that he didn't expect or that Bashir didn't expect when he was there visiting. It was just really great. Oh, absolutely. I, um, it, it's interesting to me the amount of juice that Tane has because he essentially told the Cardassian Central Command, oh, by the way, there was a Starfleet doctor on his way here. Yeah. Leave him alone. <laughs> not um, make sure he gets here okay. Not please intercept him and escort him. Nope. Don't go anywhere near him, essentially. And um, that's that's pretty amazing that one guy in an empire like the Cardassian Empire, which is all about fear and xenophobia and control, could do that. It really makes me think, of course, everybody who's watched Deep Space Nine knows what happens to Tane later on with the war in the Dominion. And he's he's captured and is in the, um, the, the compound with Bashir and Garrick later on. It really is amazing that he... Um, was captured after that um, uh, horrendous attempt to uh, overtake the Dominion with the Romulan fleet. But you would think that someone of that power, somebody would have been out there and tracked him down and found him. But nobody ever did, and he ended up dying kind of alone in a cell. It was kind of a, a sad way for a character like that to go. No, I agree with you 100%. So, um, so, so back to Garrick for a minute. I think the entire premise of this episode is fascinating. The fact that there was this device, which he would use, presumably to endure torture, that he pretty much left on for a couple of years because he couldn't stand living on a Bajoran station. He did it to continually stimulate his brain into being eh, okay with it, I think is a remarkable updating of the concept of addiction and, and dependence on substance. In this case, the electronics is the substance. Um, I thought it was the kind of premise for this script that was amazingly well done, and it made it somewhat believable in the conceit of science fiction. Yeah, it really did. Now, what's amazing to me is the episode is called The Wire, and although we do see a display of Garrick's brain at one point in the infirmary, we never actually see the device, do we? And is it just a wire, or is it some kind of more uh, mechanical-looking device? But you're right. We've always talked about how Star Trek always brings uh, issues of the day into their storylines, and addiction, of course, has been a problem that's been ongoing for the whole 53-plus years of Star Trek, so it was good to see something like that brought in and handled in a way that was believable in science fiction terms. You know, you got this guy who's got this device to prevent him from being tortured or feel pain while being tortured, and he ends up being addicted to it and using it every single day until it eventually starts backfiring on him and, you know, threatening his life. It's interesting to me that Garrick wouldn't just find a way to adapt because he's a spy. I mean, that's the job of a spy, right? Is to, you know, assess a situation and adapt to use it to your advantage. It tells me that the situation there was so bleak that he couldn't adapt 
you know, cast out from his native Cardassia, exiled in shame to some extent. Whether he's the fall guy or not remains to be seen. Um, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it tells us a lot about his mental state. Um, that he's reduced to being, in Garrick's words, a common tailor. And you can't help but almost feel bad for the guy. Here's the guy who is probably more than likely number two at the Obsidian Order. If Tane is number one and he was pretty much at the right hand of Tane, that stands to reason that he probably sought to inherit that empire at some point. And now here he is hemming trousers. That's, <laughs> that's, that's pretty bad, man. Yeah, it is, and and you got to wonder. You know, you may have an opinion of this, and it's probably something we'll get into a little bit more later on. But I still am not sure which one of the stories is the one that was the real one that got him exiled, and that's kind of an interesting way for the writers to always keep the viewers guessing, because I'm I'm thinking that one of those stories was the correct one. But which one was it? Because any one of them could have definitely been the one that got him exiled. And it was just interesting the way that not only the way the stories were told, um, but the way that Tane laughed at hearing about it and hearing the uh, the name Elam, uh, that type of thing. It really it really makes for an interesting character with Garrick. But you're right. From being one of the most powerful people in the entire Cardassian Empire to being – just a dude with a store on Deep Space Nine, hemming pants. That's that's quite the downfall. It's kind of like uh, being a becoming a you know just a sidekick on a podcast. When you think about it, well, it's good you know your place then. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know if you think about it, I um, it, it's really interesting that that that's the role that that Garrick plays. Um, because he still talks to so many people and has to interact with so many um, non-Cardassians. I mean, he very easily could have just shut himself up in in, a, in quarters and not had any kind of customer service-based job like a tailor, for God's yeah. sake. Right. Um, here he is interacting with people and probably more people than he stands to. So it's it's got to be his waking definition of hell pretty much every time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know what else is hell? Um, talking to me. Uh, no, I wasn't going to, no, I wasn't going to say that. I was going to say, please don't say anything that you'll regret, but what the obsidian or what it must be like to live under something like the obsidian order. We get little snippets here and there, but I got to say, um, the guy that Quark talks to, um, his name was Bohika, I believe. Yeah. When he's looking for the part, um, that, that he's trying to pull in his favor for, for Garrick. And, and the guy's all happy. Yeah, he's going to look at it. What's the code number? And he gives the barcode to this classified biotechnology. And then you just see the red alerts going off on the screen, reflecting in this Cardassian's face. And you this guy just knows that his life is over. I mean, it's, just, it's like, wow, this is really something. And off he goes. We never hear from him again. Obsidian order. <laughs> so he's dead. <laughs> yeah, it's funny as you were you were talking a little bit just a moment ago about about Garrick and, and which story was true. It actually made me think of the Joker from Batman. Oh. You know, because the origin story of, of the Joker is never really established. The Joker tells lie after lie after lie, or at least what you perceive is, because there's never been a true accounting of that backstory per se. Um, stories that are sometimes more grandiose than, than the last one or, or sometimes more um, simplistic and reserved. And to me, in, in that case, I mean, uh, the, 
the Joker and Garrick are at least a little alike in those ways because neither of them really truly wants to or needs to reveal what made them who they are. It's what they mean in the scope of that world that really matters. And I think that that's why we like Garrick so much. Where he really came from and what he really did doesn't truly matter to us. It's what he does in the here and now as far as his exile from Cardassia and eventually what he helps to do during the the war with the Dominion that I think really shows his value as a character. It's amazing that this time that he's been exiled, he still has all the contacts in Cardassia. I mean, how many times do we see him use those contacts in some way, shape or form throughout the series? And let me pose this question to you. And, and I'll give you my answer after I hear yours. Do you think that this mystery that has surrounded Garrick for the entire series is a good thing for the character and that we really never have those questions answered kind of like lost? Or was it a bad thing kind of like lost? What do you think? Um, I think it's a good thing. Um, but I think it's different than lost. I mean, the whole purpose of lost was to ask more questions than you ever got answers for, right? <laughs> yep. Whereas with Garrick, you get plenty of answers, just none of them are about his past. You get some kind of semblance. Um, and later on, when we find out more about his relationship with Tane, you get some of that backstory. But you get more answers about what Cardassia means to him and what he would do for Cardassia than really you ever got as far as the rationale behind Lost. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. This episode really starts that journey, I think, that we see with Garrick as it goes through the next five years with his loathing for being on the station, his exile from Cardassia, and then what he goes through in order to save it when it's when it becomes part of the Dominion, and then, of course, the the um, slaughter of, of, of the Cardassians by the Dominion uh, in Season 7. And he basically becomes the what will end up if you read the novel, being one of the, the leaders of the new Cardassia after the Dominion. So he really comes full circle. He's number two with the Obsidian Order. Then he's nothing. Then he's brought right back to be a, a one of the, the highest members of the of, uh, of society on Cardassia by the end of everything. He really is. You know, it – well, because at that point there aren't many people left. Right. That's true. Um, and why bother to keep Garrick in exile when essentially you need to rebuild a world? You know, and, and maybe Garrick has some of the – the positive vision to help carry Cardassia into a new era. Talk about the never-ending sacrifice. I think very much that's Garrick's story in many ways. You know, he sacrifices his life, his career, and why to uh, essentially better position Cardassia for the future or to give Cardassia a chance. He may not realize it at the time, but really, I mean, the the, the fall of Cardassia really it ties hand-in-hand hand with the sacrifice of Garrick. It really does, and 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 tie that. It's it's of course it's it's brilliant how they brought this novel in the beginning of this episode, which kind of ties Garrick uh, to it very well. But then at the end of the episode, Garrick gives Bashir another novel called Meditations on a Crimson Shadow, and uh, that's about uh, a futuristic war with the Cardassians and the Klingon Empire. And again, it's it's another subtle tie. To the future uh, that at this point, when we watch The Wire for the first time, we don't really know what's going to happen. But uh, that was very interesting that they did that as well. Well, you know, all the creative Cardassian works are about the greatness of Cardassia. And, well, I suppose in the long run, what better what better person to have 
back home is somebody who's always been a true believer of that greatness of Cardassia. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, he's known a lot of it has been, you know, uh, um, propaganda to some extent, but you know, he, he's, he's a true believer. Like I said, I mean, if you want somebody that's going to help rebuild what you love about Cardassia, Garrick's pretty much your guy. That's an interesting point because, you know, throughout the series, we see a lot of Dukat and Dukat has that pride with Cardassia. But for me, when I compare the pride of Cardassia between Garrick and Dukat, I have to go more with Garrick's pride because it's heartfelt. Dukat feels to me more like it's expected because he's military and and he's been involved in so much with Cardassia's history and the occupation. Whereas Garrick, he's exiled, yet he still has that passion for Cardassia. So that's a very interesting dynamic between the two. Another interesting dynamic between the two is we know that there's a history between them, but we never really see what that history was, which for me, I would have loved to have seen. Well, selfishly, I think I would have loved to have seen that too. Yeah. Um, especially to know why Ducat hated him so much. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been amazing. I know that they've touched they touched on it once um, in regard, but again, we don't, and, and I don't remember the exact um, uh, details of it right now. But again, it's one of those things. Was it something that really happened, or was it one of Garrick's, you know, lies? You know, you know what's 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 true and what 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 isn't. Um, as as the end of this episode talks about so brilliantly, so yeah. well everything's true, especially the lies, Dave. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> one of the best quotes of the entire series was that one right there, and the way that that uh, Andy uh, says it just just make you know it makes the hair on your arm stand up. You know, it, it's interesting because going back to Bashir for a minute, you know, we joke around about him a lot how he is kind of a creeper in the first couple of seasons. <laughs> Um, he's very awkward at times and I don't understand the awkwardness of, of him. Um, it's almost played at times like Sheldon Cooper would be in Big Bang Theory today. Yeah. And it, it, it never really made sense for that part of the character, but this is an element of Mashir that, that absolutely 100% makes sense. You know, you have a doctor that's trying everything he can to help his patient who doesn't want help by any means. Mm-hmm. And he essentially you know, devotes pretty much all of his efforts into getting him, for want of a better word, clean. Um, including the montage we get where he's pretty much in his quarters all day and all night. Um, and I love a good montage. <laughs> <laughs> very nice music. There's always like a um, uh, tuba or a trumpet being played in, uh, in Deep Space Nine during those montages. Yeah, always very muted. Yes. You know. um, but it shows a level of dedication for Bashir that – that I, that I think makes sense for the character at that particular point in his journey. But I think it stresses how good a doctor this guy is. I mean, this is something you would expect McCoy to do, expect Crusher to do, except at this point in Deep Space Nine, Bashir hasn't gotten anywhere near the respect that either of those two doctors have gotten. And look at what he does to Odo. He puts Odo in his place. Yeah. Odo wants to question Garrick about some murders and, you know, knowing that he was a member of the Obsidian Order. He wants to go see him right now. Get Wake him up. I want to talk to him. Huh. And Doctor's like, no, go away. You can't come in here. As a matter of fact, it's, it's, off, it's off limits to everybody except me. Now move along, Mr. Odo soldier. It's great. And, and Odo kind of like says, okay, and walks away. I'm glad they didn't overwrite that scene because that very easily could have been a scene in Cisco's office, you know, where Cisco attempted to mediate and Bashir pulled his rank as the chief medical officer. Mm-hmm. It didn't need to be. And I'm glad that they didn't script it that way because I think the conversation in the hallway was much more personal. And 
Odo left with more respect for Bashir than maybe yes. he entered with. I and I think agree. that's really key between those two characters. Yeah, I really do. You could see the look on his face when he's when he knows that he's being shut down. He doesn't he doesn't argue. He he's like, yeah, I guess uh, I guess he's right, and off he goes. So yeah, um, interesting. We we're talking about first in this episode since we're talking about Bashir. This is the first and only time we hear about Julian's middle name. Julian Subatai Bashir, which makes me think of Conan the Barbarian whenever I hear it. <laughs> I am Subatai. Actually, that was a Stump the Geek question back in the day. And I think it's also displayed on a on a, on a pad readout of a Julian's service record. I don't remember the question on Stump the Geek. I must have got it wrong. Uh, I believe you did, actually. <laughs> it happened a few times anyway. <laughs> yeah, on, on the rare occasions that you get a something geek question wrong, <laughs> one of them was Subatoy. <laughs> Subatoy, yes. There you go. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Subatoy, Subatoy. <laughs> potato, potato. P- potato, potato. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's like a sabotage. Sabotage. <laughs> Subatoy. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Wow. What have we done? <laughs> uh, we've we've gone straight to hell here. Um, there's This is a very um, different kind of Star Trek episode in that it really relies on two characters for most of the episode. Um, there's, there's not a lot of variation between the scenes. Yeah, you get some scenes where Julian's talking to the nurse and Julian's talking to Odo and and whatever, and, and Garrick's talking to Quark. But really, the 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 weight of this episode is put on the backs of both Andy Robinson and Alexander Siddig. Mm-hmm. And they they carried this episode flawlessly, I have to say. Th- this could have been they would have carried this episode if it was a three hour movie, I think. They do such a great job. The the relationship um, building is solid. The story is solid. We get that history between uh, the history of 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 Garrett. Well, I don't know if you want to call it history, but you get some of Garrick's past told in different ways, and it's just brilliantly acted. I mean, I think Andy Robinson. You mentioned it uh, at the beginning of the episode that it's one of his favorites, and he he credits it to be one of the the best uh, written. Uh, episodes in television. He's, he one point, I believe it was in the, I'm looking on Memory Alpha right now in the Deep Space Nine Companion. He was quoted as saying, I wish uh, there was more writing like this for television. I think we've had a much healthier industry. Um, it's great when you have a carrot, when you have an actor of that stature being a guest star on a TV series that's only in its second season to think that the writing is as good as it was for that episode. Well, and if you think of it, it's like David Livingston says in the Deep Space Nine Companion. Uh, this, or sorry, the Deep Space Nine logbook. Um, this episode is essentially Andy Robinson in a room. Yeah, it really is. You know, it's you want to talk about the epitome of bottle shows. I mean, this one is it. You know, there's one scene that takes place outside of you know, the station in, at, in Auburn Tain's, um, uh pad, for want of a better <laughs> word, his, his digs. But, you know, for, for all intents and purposes, this thing is shot on existing sets. Um, there's not a lot of special effects per se, and it's essentially Andy and Sid in a room. Let me ask you this, because yeah. we talk about it a lot on See It or Skip It, and, and the premise for those episodes of, of our show is if somebody is new to Star Trek, uh, would this be an episode that you would want them to see to get them into the show? Do you think that this episode is a see it for that premise, or is it a see it? 
because it's just so good. I mean, if you were to watch the show and have no idea about Deep Space Nine, would it really pull you into the series? Or would you just watch it because it's just great television? I don't think it would pull me into the series, mm, nor do I, I think agree. it would serve as any kind of introduction or exposition to Star Trek per se. Yeah. I just think it's damn good television. Um, uh, could a newbie understand what's going on? Uh, possibly, but you'd have to have somebody explain who people were and why they weren't shown in this episode. True. Yeah, I agree with that. It's like, well, where's the captain? Well, <laughs> you know, where's uh, where's the first officer? Well, about that. Um, <laughs> who's that guy with the weird face? Well, he's the security dude, and he doesn't work for Starfleet. You know, it's there's a lot to explain if you're coming into this episode brand new, I think, but that's yeah. just me. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. I, it, this is a very strange thing to say, to say but it's, it's 100% true. When I watched The Wire to prepare for, for, for this episode of Trek Geeks a, a, about a week and a half ago now, I immediately wanted to watch Dirty Harry after it was done. Like when that, right as it ended, I wanted to watch Dirty Harry. And it's because of Andy Robinson. It's just, it's, it's so great. Knowing your horror background, I'm surprised you didn't go back to watch, uh, what was it, Hellraiser? Hellraiser. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I could probably get away with seeing Dirty Harry uh, after Halloween, uh, or, you know, that since the Halloween uh, time frame is over, then I would have been able to with Hellraiser. Because once Halloween goes by, Hellraiser doesn't get played in our house. <laughs> really? Why's that? I don't know. <laughs> I'll have to ask the boss. You know, you do have, like, an iPad. I don't like to watch stuff without her. okay i understand yeah i understand i appreciate Um, that it's interesting because yeah i love to look at some of the the things that might have been with some of these episodes and the in the history and facts on memory alpha for example and apparently robert hewitt wolf's original idea for this episode was to have depicted kira as having been addicted to battle stimulants ever since her days in the bajoran resistance so a much more in your face drug addiction However, that idea was rejected because it would be too difficult to do the subsequent episodes with Kira without referencing the addiction, and it was felt it could tarnish her character too much. I agree with that decision 100% because I think it's a little too bonk-bonk on the head in Star Trek parlance, you know what I mean? Yeah, I I, told, I did not know about that, and I hadn't, I hadn't read it. Um, what you just what you just read. So that's a surprise to me. I my initial reaction to that is uh, I don't know if I would have liked that one uh, for that very reason. I mean, she's already complex enough, and then we're going to add that additional layer to kind of take away those complexities that she has. In my opinion, if they did it that way, so I'm glad they stuck with Garrick. You know, he's got so much mystery surrounding him already. Uh, why not add this uh, uh, this other interesting layer? It is quite a surprise to me, though, Bill, that this never comes up again. We never hear about this again with him throughout the rest of the series. And that's kind of too bad, I think. But he's cured, Dan. Yeah, but you can still <laughs> talk about it. You can still talk about it. But he's cured. Yeah, well, maybe. Well, I mean, that's how good a, a Dr. Bashir is, dude. I mean. Oh, that's true. He's genetically enhanced. Yeah. Although, shh, no one knows that yet. Shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> um. This episode also is the first episode of Deep Space Nine to be directed by a woman, which I thought was very interesting. Yes, the yeah, she is fantastic, Kim Friedman. Yep, yeah. Absolutely. It's a well one at this point. It's it's about time because it had been happening on Next Gen for a while. But absolutely, um, there's a lot to this episode behind the scenes that I, I just I'm I'm truly fascinated by because it is such a small show in terms of characters. 
um, to hear some of the things that may have been or may not have been, um, I think was interesting. Um, Alexander said he compared this episode to the Armageddon game, commenting the wire had the same function for Andy that the Armageddon game had for me. And I didn't think about that, but I suppose it's true in that level. Um, it was a, another character piece that really allowed one character to um, have a, an intense focus on them. So I guess that makes some kind of sense. Yeah. Yeah, the, there's some other cool things. That, you know, we're talking about first earlier. I did not realize also that this is the first time that we actually ever hear the term Cardassia Prime. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, that's kind of neat. So we find out that that's the name of the home world. And, you know, Cardassia 1, I guess was, they didn't, they didn't yeah. like too much. So Cardassia Prime. And um, I also, we talked about it a little bit, but that book that, um, that Garrick gave Bashir at the end of the episode is a foreshadowing to the way of the warrior with the Klingon Cardassian war. So, you know, the right, you know, you, you kind of, it's amazing to me as a writer, I'd love to be in the writer's room for just a week because I probably would have a stroke after watching what they do, but, <laughs> but they, they do these things and deep space nine is so good at it. They have things that take place in just some little off uh, end of an episode, end of the wire. I'm going to talk about this futuristic Klingon war with the Cardassians. And then boom, three seasons later, we get a Klingon Cardassian war. It's pretty amazing that they throw those little things out there and that, and that they're, that they all come to fruition. It's, it's brilliant. Brilliant writing, Bill. Thank you. I appreciate that. Your face um, is brilliant. Oh, that's actually true. Um, can you think of another episode in Star Trek that, uh, so outside of deep space nine, that is, because I think I know what your answer would be for deep space nine. Um, that is this intense between two specific characters for almost the entire episode <clears throat> all right this is going to sound really stupid but can you repeat that i just want to make sure i understood it correctly <laughs> can you think of another episode in in the other star trek series meaning not deep space nine mm -hmm. that is this dependent and intense with two specific characters for almost the entire episode off the top of my head no i can't yeah. Um, the reason either. I asked you to repeat it is because the first thing that popped in my head, because it wasn't Star Trek, was Breaking Bad. Um, but uh, but that's for the whole series, not just for a specific episode. Um, no, I really can't. I don't really think there is one that that it's uh, it's required the way it is in this episode. This is something that happens a couple of times in, in Deep Space Nine specifically. You get duet in season one, mm -hmm. which is really just it, – it's very much the same thing. It's Harris Eulin and an odd visitor in a room. Yep. And you get um, uh, the episode where Cisco and, and Ducat are stranded on the planet. Yep. Um, and we talked about it for Trek Geeks. Yeah, I'll, I'll look that up while you're talking because I know that we talked about it for a whole episode. That one is very much like that, even though you get the voices in uh, Ducat's head that are kind of messing with his brain because he's gone all crazy. Right. And that it, would be the episode <laughs> Waltz. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Because it's kind of like duet. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's something that Deep Space Nine has done very successfully in a couple of different ways. Um, Heart of Stone, I think, was another one um, where you get really two characters for most of the episode that carry most of the, the drama and the dialogue. Um, I don't know why it, it took until Deep Space Nine to do something like this or why the other shows haven't done it as much. But it is something that this series did exceedingly well on a, on a number of occasions. 
Well, I'd go out on a limb and say perhaps the reason why they didn't do it on other shows is we've talked about this before. A lot of the other series are bottle shows. Every episode, there's not really a lot of arcs to them. Deep Space Nine is a seven-season arc, and there needs to be that character development. So it makes sense that maybe they have those type of episodes on DS9. Um, we have a couple of other ones. Uh, one just popped into my head that is very um, – Two of them, and it's it's the, it's another one with Bashir and and Garrick, and that's the episode where Bashir is a secret agent in the holodeck. That's another one I think that shows a lot between these two characters, not as um, not as um, tense maybe as the Wire uh, or Waltz or Duet. It's kind of funny when you think about it, Bill. You have two people duet doing a dance waltz on a wire. Wow. I think it would be very hard to waltz on a wire. <laughs> Bird on a wire? What? I've I've waltzed before. I don't think you can do it on a wire. I've never waltzed. I have. Okay. Not well. I don't know where that came from. Um, well, like most things, <laughs> it's from that, that vapid expanse that exists in between your ears. Um, <laughs> maybe somebody should turn that into a show. I don't know. I got nothing. <laughs> don't we know it? Yes. Um, this is, I, I think I watched this episode three times in a row. When we decided we were going to do it, and of course, you know, we had a uh, an impromptu break in there, so I went back and watched it maybe a couple more times. Um, I'm sure that if I looked at the things that I've streamed on Netflix this month, uh, <laughs> it would be this episode and maybe an episode or two of Jack Ryan. Oh, that would be that? like the sum of my my month. You know, the, the last few weeks. That's all right. Um, I, I can't give this episode enough praise. And as a result, I, I have a I have a really hard time finding anything that's a weakness in this particular episode. I think it could be because I'm too close to it and how much I love this episode, but I honestly think it's just that good. It is that good. It's it's a five star. I do have one problem with the episode though. Oh, let's hear it. The canar is not real canar. It's not that thick syrupy looking drink that we say see later on it's just a regular looking drink and that's just wrong i have a problem with that well i have a theory about this oh here we go um much like tequila you get the general grade stuff which is used for like your margaritas and your mixed drinks and then you get the really high-end sipping tequilas which look nothing like it um that you don't mix anything with and that's my thought about canar and why it looks so different uh, this time as opposed to others. I just remember that one time that uh, um, Damar threw his his canar in the in the mirror, and it was like ugh, it was all oozy. Uh, it was, and this it just it was just a, too liquidy to do that. I thought so. Ugh. <laughs> uh, yummy. Yes. So that that's my theory about canar is that there's the general swill they give to everybody else. <laughs> And then the people like Tane have the really good stuff. That's awesome. You know what else is good in this episode, Bill? Which, and, and again, I, you know, I, I say it jokingly, but it is very important in this grand scheme of things because we've talked about it before. This is the episode where we get to see the best sofa upholstery on Garrick. <laughs> because this is the episode that I think of whenever I whenever when I actually brought up the fact that with to Andy that he wears a couch. And this is the episode that I think of, especially when he's talking to Bashir in his quarters. He's got that like spotted gold and purple. That's this is the one. This is the episode I think of. He's a tailor. Couldn't he come up with better dud do uh duds, yeah. Duds. Duds. Yeah. 
You know, it's very interesting it, to, to tell a little bit of that story about when you asked him that. Before we talked to Andy five years ago, you know, we're putting together our notes and what do you want to ask him? And you said to me, he goes, oh my God, I'm going to ask him um, about what it's like to wear bus upholstery. <laughs> and I go, you know, or a sofa, because I think that would be the, the most hilarious thing. And so you ask him and it turns out that's actually what the fabric was, <laughs> was upholstery. And we both sat there dumbfounded uh. um, because we, here we thought you were making a joke and it turns out, no, that's pretty much what it was. You use what you got to use to make a good TV show, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> so wow. for once in your life, you actually were hit, hit something on the mark like first try. Congratulations, buddy. It's the only time it'll happen. Uh, so I'm going to wear it like a big medal of honor. Yep. Pin that thing right on your forehead, buddy. It's, it's a great, great job. There's enough room there, that's for sure. Whoa. Hey. <laughs> so are there any other elements of the wire you want to call out as we uh, – we start to bring this one home. It just, the only thing that I can bring out is is Andy's performance. It's just it is it is so awesome. What it's like it's it's like watching a master samurai swordsman on screen. I mean, it's just that sounds corny, but that's how awesome he is in this. There's not one scene that's overacted or underacted. It is all done in such a great way. It is believable. He's able to do what he does as an actor under all of that makeup that he hated wearing because he's claustrophobic, and he just. He just kills this episode. Everything from the pain in his head when he starts having those little seizures at the replimat, all the way through to when he's attacking Bashir. They're just they're just so great. And as as great a job as Alexander Siddick does in this, it, it's he, it, Andy just steals the show. And I wish there were more of these. And I wish that there was more of Garrick in Deep Space Nine because of what Andy does with that character. You know, you brought out, you know, when, when Garrick attacks Bashir, uh, I find his verbal attack of him to be oh, yeah. um, just f- so cutting mm-hmm. and so emotional because you know that he's not lashing out because he means these things. He's lashing out because he's coming down off the wire. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 very simple. You know, and he, he talks about essentially, um, you know, le- they left me to live out my days with nothing to look forward to but having lunch with you. And I'm you. like going... Wow. And I hate you. Uh, just aw- it, awesome. It's like, you know, uh, and and that's the worst part. I can't believe I actually enjoyed eating mediocre food and staring into your smug, sanctimonious face. I hate this place and I hate you. It's like they oh. recorded one of our production meetings. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. They stole it. <laughs> but it, but it, you're right. And, you know, there's the physical attack, but there's the verbal, and it's that cuts way deeper. I think, yeah, absolutely. And, and what does Julian do? He doubles down. Mm-hmm. You know, he he works with Garrick even more, stays with him day and night. Yeah. And I think that that's really the the takeaway for the episode for me is not only is Julian one hell of a doctor, but like I said before, he really is one hell of a friend. And I, I think that Julian. Um, probably pulls off nothing short of a miracle in this case. And you're right. We never mentioned this again in Star Trek, and I really wish we did. That's the one thing I wish that was slightly different about this episode going forward is that we didn't come back to this conversation. And it would have been neat to do that, even if it was just the two of them having that lunch that they have on a regular basis, just bringing it up. But for some weird reason, just mentioning it and then just continuing along. But that's okay. It's still still a a 10 out of 10 episode. 9.5, 
to 10 uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, I think. I'm going to say 9.975. Okay. Kind of like right. the Enterprise um, in the Best of Both Worlds Part 2. 4.9975. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll allow it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. You know what else What we'd allow, Dan? What's that, buddy? We'd allow everybody on the planet to become huge fans of Five Year Mission. Why? Because you and I are. Because we love that band so much. Dan, did you know? I bet you did because you're a really smart guy. Uh, thank you. Did you know that they are doing one song for each episode of the original Star Trek? What? And these are original compositions. It's not parody songs. They're taking each of these episodes and making you look at it or listen to it in a different light. And I think that's the beauty of what they do. We love five-year mission so much that they're now have a podcast on our network, Dan five-year mission, the podcast, and it like the band is very fantastic. So please head on over to five mission.net, buy a copy of all their CDs, get that physical media in your hands, and then check out their podcast on the trick geeks network, because you're going to make your Mondays suck infinitely less, Dan five year mission.net. We have music from Five Year Mission. We have conversations with Five Year Mission here on the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. How can you not love life? It is it is an amazing thing. But I want to I want to step aside from that because what I watched recently was not wonderful. I got to say oh, that right now. I'm oh, sorry. No, no. I know. I, I'll tell you what, Bill. They were evil. They were occupiers. They forced you to listen to their music from the dreaded Gull Rittenhouse to the butchering Legate Spurgeon, and even all the way to the dreaded Obsidian Order operative O'Connor. They instilled fear throughout the Quadrant, Bill. I know that I can see you shaking in your boots right now. Little did we know that a secret contract negotiation for a new album with the founders would actually be their undoing. In the end, their entire musical history was wiped out when the Dominion wiped out almost the entire home planet. But they will rebuild. They will flourish again. For they are strong. They are the Farkdassians. They're the what? The Farkdassians. What? <clears throat> Farkdassia Prime. <laughs> we heard about that in this episode. Uh, I just, there are so many questions I have. Uh, the first well, that's one, what the Cardassians are like. So why not the Farkdassians? They're always asking questions. Look at Garrett. Question after question, Bill. The questions I have are more like, why did I ever start a podcast? What am I doing with my life? How did, how how do I get away from you? These are the questions I'm asking myself right now, especially after something like Farkdassians. It's 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 where it's where again it's where it takes you. Yeah. <laughs> <I> yeah. Don't. <laughs> don't forget too, Dan, that you can support the Trek Geeks Network and podcast by subscribing to exclusive bo- bonus content on Patreon. You can check out our brand new T-shirt design for 2020, as well as the year two annual supporters pin design, both of which were released within the last couple of weeks. And plus, you can get raw, unedited audio of all of our podcasts along with a bunch of other perks there, Dan. Absolutely. And we would like to take a moment right now to thank our associate producers for Trek Geeks. We are so grateful for their support. And thank you, Adam Sanders, Brandon Everidge, Heather Sohn, John Krikorian, Rick Tatro, Trey Womack, Sean Lynn, Shane Murray, Tim Robertson, Tim Serdar, Vikram Bhatt, Greg Rozier, Andy Fark, Kimberly Francis, Ron Robel, Brooke Horton, Christina Werther, 
Jim McMahon, Luke Burnham, and the gracious and wonderful Conrad Hutchins. <laughs> wow, that was <laughs> thank you, three PO. We'd also like to thank our Trek Geeks producers for their support. They are Ken Tripp, Casey Shafsky, Charlie Mulvey, Chris Trebuzio, Craig Ewing. Happy birthday, Craig. Eric Extreme, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Lanel Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Mike Bovia, Harry Michelson, Patrick Escadero, Sean O'Halloran, Peter Craig, Ben Russett, Ken Bird, Jamie Rogers, David Hood, and the lovely and talented Jess Vashon. You too can pre- you too can become a producer of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks today. <laughs> First day with the microphone. Don't mind him, folks. Next week, Dan, our celebration of the women of Trek continues. And I have faith this character is one of the best. Oh, God. Yes, I have faith, Dan, of the heart. Just, dude, just. Not not of the fark either. Stop. You are embarrassing yourself again. So anyway, yes, we are going to deep dive next week into a character that has solidified herself as one of the strongest female characters in the Trek universe. And she had a lot going against her, first of which was a captain who had a huge chip on his shoulder when it came to Vulcans. And even I will admit that I was not sure about this character when Enterprise started. But we'll find out. Did my opinion change? Next week, we're going to talk all about T'Pol on Trek Geeks, the flagship podcast of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Of course, for more great Star Trek podcasts, we want you to check out the other member podcasts of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Let's see, there's Rewind, there's Polytrex, there's Five-Year Mission, the podcast, there's Discovering Trek, there's Trek Geeks Game Night over on YouTube. we got a whole bunch of stuff that we're sure you're going to enjoy. And of course, for all the news on all the Star Trek CO, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode number 198 of the Trek Geeks Podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Of all the coconuts you told me, which ones were true and which ones weren't? My dear doctor, they were all true. Even the lies? Especially the lie. Coconut is a lie. Never. Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They are writing one song for each episode of the original series. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast, is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producer Bill Smith. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and discoveringtrek.com. Bing bong! Bing bong. <laughs> yeah, see, the, it's, you're killing It's not early morning. No, I, I don't know what your excuse is. It's not early morning. My voice is much deeper in the morning. Yeah, but you still die during the whole low end of that. No, well, low end. <laughs> that's, that's a funny theme. All right, let me try it again. Hold on. <clears throat> Bing bong. Better. There we go. Oh, yeah, so much better. Thank you. Yeah. I really. Ring, ring a ling, ding dong. Uh, 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 mm, eh. So glad you went back to do that again. Thank you for Thanks. take two. Well, that's my help. It's my. I'm here to help you because. That would be a first. Uh, it's a, I'm turning over a new leaf. 198 episodes, and <laughs> finally you decide to help me. Wow, I suppose it's uh, it's never too early. Well, you know, you've got enough credit, at least 200 episodes almost. So I walked into our chiropractor's office this morning. I say this because we go to the same chiropractor.
Mm. And uh, he told me, he goes, hey, so I started listening to a podcast today. It's uh, the episode 00. It's an introduction. These two uh, <laughs> Star Wars, Star Trek <laughs> geeks from New Hampshire. So he started listening to our show, which I think awesome. is pretty cool. That's very cool. That a similar situation happened uh, Thursday, uh, Wednesday at lunch at work. I was down getting lunch at the uh, at the on the on the first floor, and a guy gave me my plate, and he looked at my shirt and goes, "Hey, I just saw somebody else with that shirt on." I said, "Yeah, it's probably my podcast partner." He's like, "Podcast? I love podcasts." So he took down all the information. I gave him one of our cards, and he's going to start listening to it. Oh, that's cool. There you go. So if you're listening now, person at the food place, welcome aboard. <laughs> uh, good of you to get his name Yeah, sorry, he didn't have a name tag on And I wasn't really paying attention to him anyway With Dan, Dan Davidson, <laughs> man of the people <laughs> Oh, goodness gracious So uh, as we record, as, mm. as the Patreons just heard uh, You're getting ready to uh, leave on a jet plane uh, Don't know when you're coming back again but uh, I actually do, oh, I'm coming oh. back Black Friday all right. So here's what I've learned because uh, my wife and I fly to the Atlanta area every year for, for Thanksgiving to spend it with uh, family. And uh, we used to fly back on either Saturday or Sunday and it would take – it was an all-day affair. Okay. Delays, stress, um, you know, it was elbow to elbow just walking through the terminal. The best day to fly back is Black Friday because nobody is in the airport. Mm-hmm. So we go to Atlanta, Hartsfield, Jackson – airport, which is one of the busiest airports in the country, if not the busiest, right? depending on the year. And you can get through security in 90 seconds. That doesn't happen any other day of the year. Wow. Well, good. That's awesome. Yeah. So we fly back Black Friday pretty much every every year now. And it's uh, it's great. You know, we're, we have a stress-free trip. You know, the plane's never full, which is mm-hmm. even better. And, uh, and we get home, in our, you know, with a couple of days to spare so we can ease back into uh, to normal life. That's always good. We've decided to do that for a lot of our trips. We'll get back uh, – if we get back on a Friday or if, we're, or if we're having a vacation, we'll try to get back at least a day early, uh, if not two, so that we can relax and get back into the swing of things in New Hampshire before we get back to the work grind. So right. cool. I like that you're doing that. I appreciate that. Yeah. Make you a better person to deal with. Uh, well, I doubt that's true. Because well, normally you're just reprehensible jackass, but that's all right. Wow. Are you yeah. are you creating a fan film anytime soon? <laughs> I'm sorry. Was it coming out on purpose? Yeah, I know it was. <laughs> sorry, it really I was. Stop doing that. Sorry. So I, I got into <laughs> a a bit of a Twitter spat with the producer of a professional podcast. By professional, I mean one produced by a major cable network. Okay. Because uh, you know they made an excuse on their podcast because you couldn't hear. Well, there was a disparity between the volumes. Um, one host, you could, you know, if you turned up your radio, you get blown out, but you could barely hear the other person. So it meant they weren't leveling the tracks in Mm post-production using something like a phonic or levelator, which is getting a little, you know, too deep into the, how the sausage is made. But, um, the comment I made, and then they, this person mocked me for being a Star Trek fan and a professional Star Trek fan at that. And I'm (laughs) saying to myself, you know, I'd rather be a professional Star Trek fan which I'm not professional, but than an amateur a hole or a bully, <laughs> and that that applies to fan film producers too. So it does, or or people that pretend to be. Yeah, I came up with a great idea. What's that? I think you and I should do uh, should should produce a fan film. Okay, I think we should do the Kelvin timeline version of Axonar. 
<laughs> because that's a fan film that would actually get made. Oh, that's true. We got our own studio that we know Star Trek content comes out of every week. <laughs> All green screen. Uh-huh. So n- not a single physical set. Okay. Um, but the the Kelvin timeline version of Axanar, wouldn't that be the best? Can Tom Petty be in it? Uh, well, no, Dan, he's dead. Why would well, Tom Petty just, be in it? No, I just mean his music. No. Okay. I don't know why that just popped into my head. I don't either. That's really kind of random. I don't know. Last dance with Mary Jane. Anyway, um, I think that's a great idea. Let's do it. We we should announce that that's what we're going to do. Do we have to raise one point four million dollars for nothing? Oh no, I th- I think we would do this all volunteer. Okay, all right, that sounds good. I mean, because because I you know there's rumors that that happened once and one point four million was raised for some crap that never took place and there's still fundraisers going on for the same thing but nothing's been done. Well, there, anyway, come on, there was a day and a half of shooting. <laughs> A day and a half, Dan. Come on. Okay. It only took him six years. So, so think about it. The uh, the, the the Kelvin timeline version of Axner. I'm I'm digging it. You get that script up. Yeah, you could play. Uh, you could play Garth. No. <laughs> Why not? I'm not going to be because I'm not going to be sullied by that name because other people have done it. Uh, well, I, well, actually, it's in the Kelvin timeline, so it'd be a completely different. Okay, maybe. Yeah. 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 I have no idea what I'm doing. Well, you'd be you'd be perfect for the role then. That's that's what I mean. Just like somebody else. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, just think about that. Uh, you know, Kelvin timeline. I'll give that some serious thought. Thanks, JJ. <laughs> <laughs> Bad robot. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was probably the best you've ever sounded. So I've been watching The Mandalorian. Mm, me too. And have you watched episode three? No, not yet. It came out today as yeah. we record this. Yeah. And I, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. But I want the episodes to be longer than half an hour. Yeah. You you know what? You should – I'm, I'm going to say right now to the producers of The Mandalorian, make the episodes longer than a half an hour. I have spoken. Oh, God. I hate you so much. <laughs> I couldn't believe that was Nick Nolte. I freaked out when I found that out. I know, right? <laughs> so – I know you're not doing a regular Thanksgiving this year, but if you were, mm. what would be your favorite thing to eat during a, a, a typical Thanksgiving dinner? I'll tell you what. It's something that's been a favorite of mine for years, and it's more of an appetizer, but I always have them on my plate. And it's celery sticks with cream cheese and olives mixed together and spread on them. They are the best snack afterwards as well they are fantastic really my mom has made them since i was a little kid we only have them at thanksgiving it's a <coughs> once a, once a year thing there's nothing better man they're they are so good that's i love them my favorite thing in the world is my father's stuffing mm-hmm. and he wouldn't show anybody in the family how to make it other than my uh-huh. brother-in-law mm-hmm. who lives in in georgia Yep. So one year, my brother-in-law taught me how to make my dad's stuffing. And I – some years, depending on what time he gets up to put the bird on, I will get up and make the stuffing with him and we'll get the mm-hmm. bird in the oven at some ungodly hour and I'll go back to yes. bed. Yeah. But just the smell of it takes me right back to some of the the more happier memories of my childhood. Yeah. And just tasting it, it, it really is like going back in time. It's amazing. 
Isn't it amazing that the olfactory sense is the one that takes people back to early childhood memories more than anything else? Yeah, absolutely. It really is something. But yeah, I, I also, this is kind of weird. I haven't had real cranberry sauce very often. I've had it a little bit from time to time. But as a kid, I used to love the cranberry in a sauce in a can that was like the... It was like the shape of a can. That's my favorite. I love that stuff. Put a little gravy on that. We can eat (laughs) cranberry sauce on Benicia. (laughs) (laughs) That actually sounds delightful. I love the canned cranberry sauce. Mm -hmm. It's just if it doesn't look like it came straight out of a cheap aluminum can, I'm not on board. I'll tell you what, though. I think it was last year my sister made cranberry sauce using real cranberries in the pot. And they would like – when they boil, they like pop. Yeah. And – Oh, that was really good too. It's the only time of the year I have cranberries. Yeah, me too. So. Absolutely. Although I have come up with a very good cranberry martini for the holidays, which is really tasty. And it's got like ginger ale or Sprite to give it a little fizz. So you'll be inviting me over for the holidays to have one of those. For that and the uh, chili chocolate Kahlua martini that I posted on Facebook last week, which is phenomenal, I will say myself. It's amazing because somebody listening to this show might think we were alcoholics. Maybe. Um, I don't have time for meetings. So I prefer to think of myself as a drunk. <laughs> and did you see the name of the drink that, with the spicy Kahlua chili chocolate? No. My wife came up with this one. No. Sexual chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all look so lovely here. <laughs> Sexual chocolate. <laughs> oh, goodness. Now, see, now I want to do Eddie Murphy singing The Greatest Love of All because that's one of my favorite bits. <laughs> but so Spotify would kill us. What, Even though it's from a movie and it's not the actual song? But it is the actual song. But he's doing it so badly. It doesn't matter. It's right. you, you pay the royalty based on the performance of the song. Oh, all right. Okay. Um, they they were licensed to use it for the movie and paid to use it. So. Oh, okay. Well, I guess you can't do it, though, because that is a good bit. Maybe we'll – someday on Patreon, we have to do all of our favorite songs that we can't do <laughs> yes, on, on the regular podcast. That's a good idea. I since like we don't run into this problem on Patreon. <laughs> Make it so. Ah! Uh, Yes, and uh, in case anybody's been interested in our Patreon, I know we've had a, a couple of new patrons this week and a couple of upgraded patrons. We mm-hmm. just released the shirt design for 2020 and the pin yes. design for 2020. Oh, that pin. Both of which I, I worked very hard on. So um, I, it's it's great, and we're thinking about some other extra perk that might be pretty cool. So Yes. That's, yeah, I got to say, man, the work that you did on that shirt and the pin, the pin completely blew me away. It was really? phenomenal. Yes. It is so great. It takes every one of the shows from the network and brings it all together in one pin, and it's just gorgeous. Well done. Thank you. Well, I have to I have to give all the credit to, uh, to Larry and McGregor, who did the Politrex logo, because that's what I used for my inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, and without that, I, I don't know that I would have come to, to that particular design. But I'm really psyched about it. I'm glad that we're going to have something that represents the network uh, in year two of our Patreon. And um, it's <laughs> if we had many more shows, we're going to need to put out a bigger pin. Hey, I want to throw out a special hug to our girl, 24-year-old Trekkie. Just want to do that, Allie. Love you, babe. We do. And a uh, uh, great member of our Trek Geeks family. And uh, – um, looking forward to who is Trek, and uh, mm-hmm. one of these days we'll uh, we'll be able to break bread with her in the same room. But uh, uh, her Trek family on this side of the uh, of the ocean is uh, is missing her a great deal. Absolutely. You, you ready to do this? Yeah, I guess so. All right, whatever. A <laughs> hole. Wow, jerk. Nice. Is that better? Is jerk, better.
You're so mean. It's time of thanks. I'm thanking you for being a jerk. <laughs> <You're> a jerk. <laughs> Coconut!